Blog Talk Radio. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your host, Ms. Susan Weed. We'll be back in just a moment. Blessed are we in the awakening dawn. Blessed are we in the morning. Blessed are we in the light of the day as we Medicine with your host Susan Weed, a show about herbals medicine, people's medicine, the medicine that grows right outside your front door, as she says, as well as talking about some other issues that are not always herbs, but psychology of healing. She's written various books. There's a link to her bookstore down there on this show page in the description section. And I see she's in the queue, so I'm going to go ahead and bring her on. Welcome, Susan Lee. Oh, thank you so much. Green blessings to you, Daniel, and to everyone. Happy holidays and, oh, just about the new year here. Yes. Yes, yes. May it be a grand one for all. I hear there's going to be a lot of shaking things up in the coming year. And a lot of new things. In fact, Susan, right after the holiday, right after Christmas, guess what I was doing? But I was helping, who, by the way, are good fans of yours. Some friends, two ladies, two very wise ladies, the local apothecary lady, who, as well as they sort of run a new age shop around here called Sticks and Stones. But they were relocating, and they needed folks to help them relocate, which means moving all the furniture from one store to the next. So there was pretty much no rest on this holiday, and then went right back to work on Monday after moving furniture all weekend (laughs) from one store to the next. But it was fun and interesting and nice to be part of the, the local community like that, you know, and to help out and all that. So it was fun. 
Isn't it, though? It always gives one a special inner glow, and apparently it's really good for your immune system. <laughs> no, seriously, like there is no herb or food that's as good for your immune system as helping other people. Oh, yeah. It's, we can definitely see an uptick in immune functioning, and that goes on for days, sometimes weeks afterwards. Well, then, so uh, it's, yeah, so good. it's really, you know, helping other people, it's, it, you know, it doesn't just make you feel good. It really, it makes you feel good. <laughs> In a very real <laughs> way. It, makes you, it actually really makes you feel good. <laughs> uh, yeah. so somebody asked me if we were done talking about birch. And uh, we've, we've certainly had a lot to say about Birch. Uh, I was visiting someone, and there was a kind of an odd thing on the television. And I said, what is that? And they said, oh, it's a movie from a book by Jack London called To Build a Fire. And it's about a man in the... Far north during the gold rush time. And he is walking from the trading post to his camp. And what happens to him along this walk? And several times during the walk, he needs to build a fire. And he carries with him in a place that is protected his matches and several pieces of birch bark. Ah. And he says in the story that there is nothing that will start a fire like birch bark will. And, of course, that's where we came in on the Birchbark saga, wasn't it? was Susan up in the Catskills, winter camping, with the sleet and the ice coming down and all of the wood frozen and wet and wondering how she was not going to die of hypothermia Mm -hmm. and remembering that she could start a fire with Birchbark. And we said that birch is the tree of beginnings, the tree of conception, the tree of keeping quiet about it. And this is something that has always been one of the wisdom teachings. And that is that if we want to manifest something, it helps to have a period in which we silently gestate the thing before we say a word to anyone else about it. And so birch is the symbol of that, the symbol of this this middle of the winter deep gestation. It's in my belly. I know about it, but it's not showing yet. Nobody else knows about it. So I want to take you with me on yet another camping trip. And I'm with a friend this time. And it is 
um, in the fall, and but there's no snow on the ground even in the the upper Catskills. And to be fair, the Catskills are not very mountainous by mountain standards. The upper Catskills are those that are 3,000 feet and above. I know those in the Rockies are going snicker, snicker, but we're starting from sea level. So really, it, 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 it can be quite a climb to get up into those higher reaches. And we're having one of those wonderful, wonderful times where we keep saying, oh, we'll just go a little further before we make camp. We'll just go a little further before we make camp. And then that thing that can happen to you when you're outside, which is it goes from being light to kind of light to you can still see to suddenly you can't see a thing. It's just dark. And it's like, how did it get so dark? And your flashlight is worse than useless because it just is totally disorienting. And we kind of look at each other and say, well, we guess we're camping here. And we move ourselves off the trail a bit. And in the dark, and of course our eyes are adjusting, we can see a little bit. We're finding flat places to lay out our sleeping bags and our mats. It's not that cold that we have to set up the tent, so we're just going to sleep out because we don't really see a place that's big enough to set up the tent. And we're so tired at this point anyhow, we just crawl into our sleeping bags and go to sleep. And when I awaken in the morning, I find that I have laid my sleeping bag oh, within maybe two feet of the edge of a very tall cliff. And growing out from the edge of the cliff and arcing up and fronding over me is this small, and I felt immediately that I was safe. You know, that sensation of waking up and looking out and going, oh my goodness, I'm glad I didn't like toss and turn in the night or roll over. I didn't have that sensation at all. I thought, there's no way I could have gone over the edge because this tree was here holding me. And protecting me. And I couldn't quite figure out what it was. It had long compound leaves. In other words, the leaves weren't like an oak leaf or a maple leaf, which is just one leaf, but more like a rose leaf where it's made up of little leaflets. Or like an ash leaf that's made up of leaflets. And it looked like a rather largish ash leaf. In other words, there were more leaflets in it than in, in an ash leaf. And it also looked kind of like an elder. and had that same kind of the, the leaflets were about the size of the elder leaflets, a little bit bigger. And they were toothed like the elder leaflets and the ash leaflets aren't. And I thought, well, gosh, is it some kind of like a strange elder? And then there were berries on it. And there were like red berries. On this, and I'm just scratching my head and going, my gosh, I really just cannot figure out what this is. Well, I later learned that this tree is most popularly known as mountain ash. It's Fraxinus, and in our um, ogum, it is Louis. L U I. Louis the Guardian. And it is said that that mountain ash always is planted in a circle around the sacred site to guard against incursion 
by any unwanted forces. Hmm. And that if you go to places in England where there are sacred sites, that you will find mountain ash trees there. Now, mountain ash being such an important, magical, mystical, spiritual tree has many, many names, some of them quite fanciful. Missy Moosey is one of its names as is Missy Mossy, one of its names. But perhaps the most famous of its names is Rowan. Uh-huh. I have a friend named Rowan. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Rowan is popularized by the Order of the Golden Dawn as one of the most important of the magical woods. And as I said earlier, this is a tree in the rose family. The botanical name is Sorbus. And it is often... um, the tree that is at the moon that is closest to Candlemas. So we started with Birch, Beth, the beginning, and that was at the new moon coming right after winter solstice, which this year was, I think, right on the solstice. And then Louis would start at the next new moon, which would be four weeks later. And then Candlemas, of course, is at the beginning of February. So the Feast of the Flame, the quickening of that which we have held in the dark. So we're not following along with a, a nine-month pregnancy here. As we're going to see, the very next tree is the tree of birth. So we have three trees to cover this. So the first tree um, covers the secret part of the pregnancy. And then Louis, the mountain ash, covers the quickening, the fire. And the last tree, the ash, is the tree of birth, the tree of connection between the mother and the child. So mountain ash, with its sense of not just protecting, but predicting. And I was looking quickly in my notes because I wanted to be sure before I said it, but apparently that if you go to Stonehenge, you will find rowan trees growing around Stonehenge. Okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, and then of course, um, the rowan trees became the imp in the, the Lord of the Rings story. So they, right. so they had this, this kind of interesting, quirky, magical thing about them. 
that Maud Greaves, who does a wonderful job of collecting herbal lore, says, The Welsh used to brew an ale from the berries of mountain ash, but the secret of this drink has been lost. And you wonder, you know, with the, with the this image of the mountain ash there at the edge of the cliff, and so it not only protects, but it sees far. And you, and so as soon as I read about this, I thought, oh, I'm sure that this was some kind of visionary ale. Yeah. Right, that you drank this ale and you went out on your vision quest and you saw things that the that the mountain ash allowed you. That um, that expanded vision. It's also called roundwood, witchwood, mountain sumac, and quickbeam. And quickbeam, of course, is uh, what it was called in, in the Lord of the Rings. Okay. So. This is a tree that comes by many names, and it is still used in plantings to protect the household. If you've ever seen a house that has a tree growing by it with beautiful kind of glossy dark green leaves, which do fall off, and beautiful bright red berries, it's probably mountain ash. Now, if the leaves are glossy and they stay there all year and as red berries, it's holly, which is also often planted by houses. But once I started looking around, I was surprised to see, uh, especially in older areas, um, how frequently mountain ash is used to this day as a protector of the house and a protector of all that are within the berries of mountain ash have been used medicinally. Like every berry in the rose family, they are rich in the um, antioxidant vitamins. Vitamin A, vitamin C. And uh, I got a a card from a wonderful uh, um, MD, And on the front of the card, it said, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And on the inside, it said, if you throw it hard enough. So you might be in that doctor with the apple, but if you threw mountain ash berries at them, you wouldn't hurt them at all. Just like rose hips, a phenomenal source of vitamin C in the winter time. The bark of the mountain ash has also been used medicinally. And again, it's used like the other members of its family, the rose family, the apple family, and that is for cardiovascular health. And this is why the apple a day, whether you throw it or not, is supposed to keep the doctor away because it's supposed to keep your heart healthy. Cherries, of course, are even healthier for the heart than apples. They not only contain all the nutrients of apples, but they contain anthocyanins, which are those dark colorations. And, of course, the sorbus berries, the berries of the mountain ash, which are a beautiful dark red, also contain large amounts of the 
and those cyanins. We find that in general, wild fruit tends to be much higher in antioxidants than any of the cultivated fruit. So if you're concerned about vitamin C during the wintertime and there's a mountain ash uh, bush or tree near you, that would be an easy way to get the fruit. Again, because it often does grow up into a very elegant tree uh, with berries held way high above the snow. It is beloved by the wildlife that they can get to this uh, really a superb nutrition all through the wintertime. So usually when we are using the bark of a tree, let me remind you, and I'll remind you several times yet again, that we're not actually using the bark. Herbalists say this. It's a shorthand for inner bark. So when you hear an herbalist say the bark of so-and-so is used, they're not really using the bark. They're using the inner bark, which technically is the cambium layer. And it's the part of the tree that's actually living. The bark itself is dead. It's kind of like your hair, your fingernails. And the inner part of the tree, of course, is also not living. It's the wood, right, that we use as firewood or that we turn into furniture. But between the bark and the wood is this living layer, the candium layer. And the sap is moving up and down through that, and nutrients and water are moving up and down through the candium layer. And that's what we actually use when we are working with tree bark. Now, one of the reasons that herbalists get away with using this kind of shorthand of saying bark, when we don't mean bark at all, but inner bark, is that Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, we are going to harvest bark, not from the full-grown tree or the tree trunk, but from a limb of the tree, and usually a smallish limb of the tree. And on a small limb or a sapling, there isn't yet much outer bark. The outer bark in this case is rather like a thin layer of paint on the cambium layer. And so the cambium layer and that thin little bit of bark is stripped off the sapling or the branch, and that's what's used, and thus it's called bark. Ah. Ah. (laughs) Because it is the bark. So it's not like people are separating the cambium from the bark. Right. Right, you're harvesting it at a point at which there isn't really very much bark going on at all. And the barks of virtually all trees have some minerals in them and are also astringent and often can be helpful within the cardiovascular system by stopping oxidation of the lipids that are in the blood. We're starting to see more that it's not so much what fats are in the blood, but what state of the fats in the blood, right? Are they in angry states or in the calm states? And what's in most tree barks helps calm down the fats in the blood, The bark of the sorbus of the mountain ash is usually tinctured, 
and it's it used a lot like Hawthorne, taken in dropper full doses. The holiday of Candlemas is, of course, popularly known in the United States as Groundhog Day. Yes. Yes, and uh, it's also um, the Festival of St. Blaise. And we have this interesting theme here. You know, I, I, I can already, I've already noticed that it is definitely not as dark, not as long. I have a, an appointment that I have every Tuesday at 5 o'clock. And when I showed up there today, I looked around and I said, by golly, it's light. And it sure wasn't light at 5 o'clock last week at this appointment. So I can see that light returning, but it's going to get colder. And so most of us don't don't really believe in spring until the beginning of February. And then, of course, if the groundhog comes out of his burrow and sees fire, sees the sun, then there's going to be another six weeks of cold. And if it's a cloudy day, then spring is going to come. And so we have this connection with, once again, the light, the blaze, St. Blaze, Candlemas, the mass of the candles, and the groundhog seeing the sun, and Louis, the mountain ash, the tree of the quickening. What we want to manifest is now taking on a life of its own is beginning to gleam in reality. It's almost as though that inner light of our idea that's coming to manifestation begins to shine out at this point and to allow us to solidify our vision or our desire into the actual manifest world. And one interesting thing about this time of year as well, uh, I'm actually well, I'm actually going to be writing a invoke ceremony for a Unitarian church. <laughs> All right. (laughs) That'll be an interesting and fun experience. They're a great group of people they have there called the Sacred Wheel. And one thing I always find interesting about winter anyway is just the fact that how people survive. Like just because I work outside, so I'm always interested when I look at houses and see the little fires coming out of the fireplace. And I don't know. I guess it's just something I think about. I, I, I think about... I don't really mind it so much. So many people are so against the winter, and it's like, well, once you get used to it. I mean, I know it can be harsh and bitter, and you got to be careful and all those sorts of things, but it's kind of a the path is a journey sort of thing for me. Well, I'm like, oh, you know, yeah, it's a little bit harsh, but that's part of the, what's everything supposed to be just sweet and pleasant all the time and perfect, and, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just something I think <laughs> What is that? The, the snow... Remember that each snowflake and each drop of rain 
coalesces from moisture in the upper atmosphere and it coalesces around a grain of mineral. Mm. And so both snow and rain fertilize the earth and bring minerals from the high atmosphere down to earth. The farmers are always happy when there's a lot of snow cover. Yeah. They say it's so good soil. We are down to about 70 seconds. I, just to let I you was going to say, we are we are done for the day, my dear, done for the night. We have spent the evening with Mountain Ash Louis, the second ogum in the trees of the 13 moons. And we will continue on with Neon, the tree of birth when we gathered next week here on the Main Street Universe. Thanks so much for having me. About the ale, too, about the shaman ale, sort of, or the visionary ale from the the Rowan Yeah. (laughs) Maybe somebody can find that recipe sometime soon. Yes, let's see if we can revive it in a in a trance. I was just uh, visiting someone, and a, a very important um, person had been there uh, very very shortly before their death, and had sung them a song uh, to which the words were extant, but nobody knew the melody. And as I was leaving, uh, a hypnotist was arriving uh, with the idea to hypnotize them so that they could remember the melody. Hmm. <laughs> I haven't yet found out if it worked. <laughs> I see no reason why it shouldn't. Yeah. After all, they heard it. Sure. They it's should there. be able to remember it, especially with a little help. So until we meet again, thank you so much for Main Street Universe and supporting my goal of reestablishing herbal medicine as people's medicine, the medicine of the people, by the people, and for the people. It's going to be a great year. Be with you next week. All right. Thank you very much, Susan. Green blessings. Good night, everybody. Green blessings to you. You're listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine with your host, Susan Weed, right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. And this is our good friend, Miss Kellyanna, right after our plug, with the opening song we've been using, Blessed Are We. Forbidden Archaeology, Forgotten History, Divination, Magic, Cryptozoology, UFOs, Nature, Science and Spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Mm-hmm.